You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. You know, I had this this uh, picture come to me <clears throat> recently, uh, and it's it's so awesome. You know, when you just journey with the Lord, God, He'll start to speak to you differently and reveal things to you in different ways that that will surprise you. And I used to never, I'd hear people be like, "Oh, I got this prophetic picture." I'd be like, "Man, I'll never get any pictures." And now I get I get pictures, and so that's that's cool. And you know, I had this picture that the Lord um, the Lord gave me recently, and it was. You know, if you've ever looked through a scope, like if you're a hunter or something and you look through a scope or even a pair of binoculars, you, when you hold them up or you hold the scope up and you're looking, usually when you first look, you don't have a real clear view, especially with binocular, binoculars. And uh, <clears throat> you'll have to adjust the thing. You know what I'm talking about right here? Adjust the whatever. Yeah, the focus. And so what happens is <clears throat> you'll start to get a picture and then as you turn it, it becomes more and more and more clear. And the Lord was just showing me that what's on us in going from 30, so a measure of, of God, and going into 60, which, you know, the Lord talks about in Mark chapter 4 that, you know, those, those that have a good heart will, will reap, will manifest 30, 60, and 100 fold. And the Lord showed me that we're going from 30 to 60, part of what that is, it's not just increased blessing, but it's, it's increased vision. It's to where you're able to take your spiritual binoculars and you're able to see more clearly what it is that you're looking at. And our object that we're looking at is Jesus. He is the object of our worship. He's the object of our life. He's the mo- most important person. He's the most important thing. And with that being said, you know, he is, he's the chief shepherd. All pastors are, and senior leaders, they're just under shepherds. Jesus is the real, true senior leader of the whole church, right? And so he's, he's the most important thing, and he's everything that our whole life is about. He's the essence of why we're here. He's the essence of the breath that we have in our lungs. Jesus is everything. And so since he's everything, we need a clearer and clearer vision of who he is. And I really believe this with everything in me. This isn't just an encouragement piece that I'm giving you here. I believe this with everything in me. The church is stepping into the greatest time that the church has ever had. I believe it with everything in me. When I got, when I got um, baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had this encounter with the Lord when I was 18 years old. And there was a lot of things that happened, but one of the things that happened is that the Lord put in me a, I used to, before that, I had a, a desire for the church, but then he put in me a burden for the church. And so since I was about 18 years old, and I didn't understand it even until in the recent years, that I have a burden for God's church. And I, I'm not okay, like I've never, and you guys know this about me and know this about Liz, that we've never been those, those kind of ministers to where it's like, let's just come in and do church. I'm like, Jesus, what are you saying? What are you doing here, God? What are you doing in the service, Lord? What are you saying, you know, in this season? And, and what are the things you want us to do? And, you know, what part of uh, the ground that hell has conquered do we need to take back? Like, that's, that's in me. 
And it's because I have a revelation of Jesus, and it's getting clearer and better all the time. And Jesus said to his disciples, and this is in Matthew chapter 16, he asked them a question. He said, who do you say that I am? And they went and said, well, people say you're this, that, and the other. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And, And Peter spoke up and he answered. He said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What was the rock? Some people have said, you know, that Peter was the rock. I can tell you now, Peter was not the rock. Read about Peter. He, had, he, was, very, he was a very wavering individual until he got filled with the Holy Ghost and then things got a lot better, but then Paul still had to rebuke him because he got into, you know, legalism again. But anyway, so Peter was not the rock is my point. And Peter was not the, the first pope of the church or anything like that. That's not what biblical history tells us. But Peter had a revelation about who Jesus was. And Jesus said, upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build my church. And so the church is Jesus. And so when you look at who Jesus is, here's one of the ways that you can describe Jesus. And one of the ways you can describe the church is that there are seven pictures of the church. And the church is a, a, a workmanship. And you can find all these listed in he, uh, excuse me, Ephesians. It's a workmanship. It's an army. It's a governmental assembly, it's a temple, it's a bride, it's a body, and it's a family. And so I, this is what I really have come to understand, is that there is a greater view, we're coming more into focus as to who Jesus is and to what his church is, what it's really designed to be. And, you know, different people carry different revelations about the Lord and about the church And you can look at different camps, different ministries, if you will, and some of them carry real strong emphasis on different different pictures of the church. But you know that all of the pictures of the church are true? The ones I just read, they're all true. They're all true simultaneously. We are an army. We are a body. We are the bride. We we are all these things. And what I believe that the, the Lord is doing is just like we're looking through a pair of binoculars And, you know, when you first look through a pair of binoculars, you can see certain things that will stand out. But as it's becoming clearer, we're starting to see there's more to the picture than what we realized. Not only are we a bride, not only are we a a body, but we're also all of the other things. And one of the things that the Lord has really been highlighting to me lately, really strong in my heart, is that the church is a family. You know, years ago, this church was called Perryville Family Church. And then stuff happened. The Lord said, I want to inject new vision. I want to inject new heart. And I really want a name on it that I give you. And so we had, we had dreams. We had words. We had verses. And then the Lord birthed Overcomers Church International, not just the name, but what the name really represents. It was his name. He gave that name to me for the church. It was awesome. It was supernatural. I think we have that video on the website. You can go and look and see all the details behind how, how the name came about. I don't have time to talk about it now, but it was it was really incredible, but it's always been in the heart of God that the church would be a family, and that has taken on, and, and I think people have known that, just like, yeah, the church is a family. This is where the family gets together, but <laughs> unfortunately, you know, it was like a lot of our church experience, instead of it being like, you know, the Waltons, it's been more like the Bundys, you know, it's been... <laughs> It's not been, been very pleasurable. And, and I believe part of the reason, does anybody know who the Waltons are? Good night, John boy. Good night, Marianne. Good night. Oh, and they go through the whole list. It's like, isn't that wonderful? And the Bundys, 
I think it was the Bundys, right? That was the, it was a horror. I was not allowed to watch it for good reason. It was a terrible show, but they're always fighting and arguing and there was adultery going on and all kinds of stuff. I only know them by name. I don't know the, I don't know the show. But anyways, a lot of people have experienced some really terrible things in the family of God. It hasn't looked like a family so much. And so what I believe is happening is that as we have our eyes on Jesus, that the picture of Jesus and the picture of his church, all of the pictures of his church are becoming more and more clear to us. Because you can't, you can't become something that you can't see. You can't operate in something that you can't behold. And so one of the things that we've seen is we've seen a counterfeit over the years and instead of seeing the authentic and some of it was done out of a good heart. Some of it was done because they saw this ministry or this church do this over here. By golly, we're going to do the same thing. And so we're going to go for it. And then it just became a mess because it was a copy of 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 a copy instead of looking at the original and saying, that's what we're going for right there. And Jesus is resurrecting his church. And his resurrection of the church in these last days is going to be a church that is just as he has designed it. It's not going to be any different. And one of the things that it's going to be is it's going to be a really, really healthy family. Really healthy family. And this is a healthy family. We have a really healthy family culture here. We have good camaraderie here. When you walk in the door, people love on each other. And they don't just do it because, you know, I pulled all the greeters in and said, listen here, make sure you act nice to people. They j listen, if you got a hug or a handshake or a smile, they gave that to you because they genuinely care about you. It's, it's a true story. And it's because it honestly, it comes, from, it comes from the top down and it comes from me and it comes from the other parts of the leadership because we spend a lot of time with Jesus and we, re we realize that Jesus really loves us. Jesus really loves me in the midst of me being me. You know, you see the best of me. She sees the worst of me. And so to be able to stand up and say, man, God really loves me, that takes something. There's a revelation that we have. God really loves us. And you know what? He loves us as a father. And so he's resurrecting his, all of the elements of the church. But in particular, something I think is, is really being highlighted and stamped is that God's church, it is a family. And what does every healthy family need? It needs good mothers and fathers. Now, I'm not, and, and of course, I'm, I'm using a natural parallel. And if you're, deal, if you're in a single, single mom or single dad situation, there's grace there to cover you. Amen? But I think we all understand the ideal situation is to where you have a mother and you have a father, and then you have children that glean everything that the mother and father has to be able to offer them through that anointing of mothering and fathering. You know, the, the church of, of the Lord is the exact same thing. It's designed to be the exact same way that we would have mothers and fathers. And here's the thing, is that the Lord isn't really interested, if I could say it that way, his ultimate goal isn't to raise sons and daughters, but it's to raise mothers and fathers. So there has to, there has to come this place to where we flip from being just going, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, God, I need, I need, I need, which is fine. We, we all are in need. We all need the Lord. We all need to know the love of God. But we go from the place of needing to the place of giving. And so it's a paradigm shift that happens in our thinking to where we go from just saying, I'm a loved son or daughter of God. And we have to know that first and we have to grow up in that. But then we come to this place to where we say, now I'm going to give out 
because of what the Lord has given to me. It's the difference between being a son or a daughter only versus being a mother or a father. And so the Lord, and really that is discipleship. Discipleship is that you're raising up sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers. That really is the goal. Because if you don't raise up people to become mothers and fathers, and they, they become of age spiritually, they can't reproduce. Imagine if you had a natural child that stayed seven years old forever. They wouldn't be able to come to a place to where physically to where they could reproduce. So the goal that the Lord has isn't just that we are sons and daughters. We have to be sons and daughters first, but once we are in that, we have a revelation of that, we see the love of God, we build a relationship, then we step into, Lord, what do you want me to do for the people that you've called me to? How is it that you want me to, in, to invest into those people? And it's not that in a local assembly there's going to be multiple, you know, like everybody's going to be a mother and father over that local church. That's not the issue, but it's about carrying the heart of a mother and father to where when you come in, it's not a here I am spirit and give me something because I need, but it's a there you are and what can I do for you? It's a, it's a shift that happens. And we've grown up, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we've grown up in a culture that has, a, that has been led by counterfeit fathers and has not been led by legitimate fathers. And so I'm gonna, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so let me ask this question then. What does a mother, a real true mother or father do? And the Lord, you know, sometimes when it gets quiet between me and the Lord, I know that he's want, wanting to show me something different or give me a different perspective about something that I already know. And so this is a really dangerous thing to do, but you can do this with the Lord. You can say, Lord, what is it that you want me to see in my thinking? What do you want to show me in my thinking that needs to be different than how it is right now? And when you do that and you really are asking genuinely, watch out because the Lord's probably going to show you some things that are different than how you've been thinking, and it might just might make your mind go tilt. And sometimes he will even bring things across your path in, in unbeknownst ways, in unlikely ways to show you things that he's been wanting to show you. Watch and see how God will reveal to you things that you're asking, but most likely it's going to be beyond maybe even what you were thinking. But as I was asking the Lord, you know, what do you want to show me about mothering and fathering? Because I, I said, what do you want to show me? And he started to draw me towards mothering and fathering and, and people seeing themselves differently. See, this isn't about seeing God seeing you differently. God already sees you perfectly. This is about you seeing you perfectly. This is about you seeing you how Jesus sees you. See, Jesus already has his binoculars set up, and he already has a target on you in a good way. He's got a target on you. Hey, man, he ain't trying to kill anybody. He's got a good target on you, and he already sees you with the clearest picture. What we need to be able to do is get the eyes of Jesus or get the binoculars of Jesus and be able to see ourselves the way that God does. And you know how he sees you? He sees you loved because he does love you as a son, as a daughter, but he sees you as a mother and a father. He sees you as one that has the ability to reproduce spiritually what God has done in you. He sees you as one being able through him to be able to reproduce your faith, to re be able to reproduce life, and all of the things that God would, would want you to be able to pass on to other people. God sees you that way. So what does a mother and a father do? This was a question I felt prompted to ask the Lord. What does a mother and a father do? Are you ready for the answer? They prophesy over you while they wash your dishes. That's what he spoke to me. He said, they prophesy over you as they, as they wash your dishes. 
I, I have, we have in this, this church, we have one of the best examples of a natural mother that I've ever been around, which is, which is Liz. And when I, growing up, I had an incredible mom growing up. Why do you know that? I've talked about her. She passed uh, six years ago, uh, this month actually. And she was awesome. And when I was like 15 or 16, I was different. I was wired very different. Um, and I prayed and I said, Lord, I want to marry somebody like my mom. Like what 15, I think more, if you have a good mom and you're younger, you need to pray that. You guys should pray that. You have an awesome mom. And so I said, I want to marry somebody like my mom. And the longer we've been married, the more I realize she is a whole lot like my mom. Personality is different. Um, you know, she's a lot shorter than my mom. But her value system, system and her ability to mother is a lot like my mom's. And what I've noticed is that she serves her family well, really well. But then she also can look at a situation and see what's going on beyond the surface and speak into that situation. And you know what mothers and fathers are supposed to do is they're supposed to get down and they're supposed to meet needs. But then as they're meeting needs, because they're connected, they're tied to the vine, because they're connected to the Lord, they're able to speak into their life and speak into their situation. Amen. You know what you're called to do? You are called, get this, you are called to prophesy and wash dishes. And when I say prophesy, I'm not saying that you need to go figure out how to start prophesying. I mean, you can prophesy, but it's about taking spiritually what God has given you and being able to give it to somebody else. And what happens is that in the church, and this is where God is, is doing some course correction with the church, what you have mostly is you have people fall into one of three categories, but there's a fourth category that we need to fall into. The first category is that people do nothing. They don't do anything spiritually. They pass nothing spiritually, both to their biological kids and to the people that God's called them to outside of their immediate family. They, they do nothing spiritually, and they do nothing practical. The other category that people fall into, the next one, is that they are so spiritual that it's like every time you see them, they got a prophecy and angels fell from heaven and, you know, they heard harps and like, just like, like that. But then you ask them to pick up a broom and they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm busy. I got to go spend time with Jesus, you know. And then you have people that can, I mean, they can sweep and mop and serve and, and do all of these things, but it's like there's not, they're not really connected with the Lord. And then you have the fourth category, which is Jesus. He was a prophet. He was an apostle. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. He was an evangelist. He was the best at everything. And yet just before his crucifixion, and this is in John chapter 13, it says that the way that he, that, that he was sent from the Father and he loved his own, and then the very next thing he did is he went, including Judas, who he already knew was going to betray him, and Peter, who he knew was going to deny him, he went and he washed their feet. And it's interesting is that Jesus could have shown up on the scene and said, I'm sinless, at, at the Last Supper there, he could have said, I'm sinless. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I was here when the earth was created. I created the earth. I've come and I am an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, truly all rolled into one. I'm your Lord. I'm your master. I'm your savior. I'm all of these things. And he would have been right and he would have even been just to say, now I want all of you to come wash my feet. 
But he didn't. He turned around and he said, and he, and he girded himself. You know, when you're going to get down to business with people, you got to gird yourself up and get ready. Because how, how many of y'all know that every one of us are messy? When we go to serve people, it's messy. When they go to serve you, it usually is kind of messy because people are messy. And it says that Jesus girded himself up and then he took that towel that he girded himself with and he went and he washed their feet. You know what he was? He was the perfect example of a father. And another way we could describe it is that he was a servant leader. This is how you're supposed to treat leaders. This is the dynamic between leaders and the ones that are following their leaders is that leaders should be treated like kings. If you have a leader over you, you should treat them as royalty. But whatever that leader is, whoever they are, should act like servants. That's honoring up and honoring down. We're called to honor up and we're called to honor down. When we have most guest speakers, most guest speakers that come in, I consider them to be over me in the Lord, most of them, not all of them. Some, some not the case, but a good portion of them. And that's why when they come in, we roll out the red carpet for them. We do, when Mike and Carrie Pickett come here, we do everything we possibly can to make them feel like royalty. We, feed, we feed them the best meals that we can come up with. We've got a whole, we have a whole, a lot of you don't know this, but we have, we have a team that's designated to making meals for guest speakers when they come. We found, Denise found fine china. I didn't even know what it was. I, I don't, she could have had fancy paper plates and I would have been okay with it, but she's like, no, we need the best. And you, what was the name of the stuff? Norataki. She found it at some store somewhere, whatever. Anyways, and we give them the best, man. You know why? Because they're leaders, they're our leaders in a sense, and we treat them like royalty. But you know why they're the best leaders? Is because they come in and serve. Speaking of Mike and Carrie, for example, do you know that they, every time, the last two times that they've come, we've given them offerings, very healthy offerings, and they turn right around and sowed it right back into the church? They're like, we're just, we're just here to bless you guys. That's really, really healthy kind of things that God wants to reestablish stronger in the church where you have mothers and fathers that are, that are willing to pour out and pour out and pour out and not be self-promoting in what they're doing. It's right to have titles. It's right to call a senior leader, whatever, whatever that church does, pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, whatever, whatever, that's fine. There's a place for honor. It's right to honor, but it's also right for those that are in leadership over you, or if you are in leadership over people, and guess what? You're all a form of a leader in some form or fashion. If you are at your work or you're at your home, you are, at, you are a leader. If you have people around you, and you're filled with the Spirit of God on some level, you're a leader. Even if you've not been appointed as a leader, you're still a leader. You know what you need to do? You need to wash their dishes and prophesy over them. You need to practically serve them, and you need to give them heaven at the same time. You know what this is? This is the Lord taking the, the way that we think and going, good job, guys, but let me show you something paradigm shift in the way that we think. You might think, man, I just don't feel like I have much to offer. You have more to offer than what you realize. And you go, well, how do I do it? Get under people that are doing it well. This is the reason why we've, we've set up Growth Track 101 and 201 and 301, why we have grace groups, why we have serve teams. It's not because, well, we just, well, it's church and we gotta do something. Like, it is very strategically 
design with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours behind it, working to make a way for people to grow up, grow up and be discipled. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, just grow up, you, but and be discipled and be able to reproduce. But you know, one of the things that has to happen is that you have to learn how to be a son or a daughter before you can be a mother and a father. You know that the, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that those that don't receive correction, and I think you could put a lot of things in there with it. I wouldn't want to add anything to the scriptures, but I, I don't. But I think it's safe to say just correction, instruction, just training in general, that it says that those that, but what it says those don't, that don't receive correction, they are illegitimate sons. And so there's a, there's a question that we all should ask ourselves, are we at a place to where we have people that are pouring into our life that we allow to pour into our life? And if the answer is no, you need to, you need to step back and go, Lord, what am I missing here? And I think a lot of the times that the reason why people don't want to come under is because they grew up under the Bundys and not the Waltons. They grew up under, in the church, maybe in the natural home too, dysfunction, disunity, uh, unfaithfulness. I mean, the list, go, the list goes on. But I have news for you. You know, the Waltons weren't perfect, right? But they were a lot better than the Bundys. And what I'm saying is that Jesus' church, Jesus is perfect. But his church is comprised of people, so there's going to be imperfections in it, but we can shoot for what is perfect. We can aim for what is right. And part of what aiming for what is right is to where you start to first become a son or a daughter. That's understanding your identity in Christ. That's knowing who you are. That's knowing your royal identity. Every one of you are royalty sitting in here. Every, you, every one of you watching online, you're royalty. God says you're royalty. He's made you a king and a priest. That means you have authority in the earth, and that means that you have the very right to go into the very throne of God and have communion with God Almighty. I'm telling you, you are, you are royalty. Know, know who you are, but then grow in that. Continue serving and loving and allowing God to grow you up, and then what happens is that you will step in to be, being able to be a mother and a father, which is God's ultimate goal for you. And so this is interesting that, you know, using this term, washing dishes, I've, I've used this a lot lately because, you know, when it comes to a family, when it comes to a, a natural family, let me start there. A mother and a father, even though, like, you know, we've got a, a you know, house full of boys and we train them to wash dishes and do different things like that, we still have to do that. It's not my ultimate call. I guarantee you, the Lord didn't put me here on the earth and say, you are called to wash dishes. I mean, I'm talking about physical, literal dishes here. He also didn't put my sons here on the earth and say, your high calling is to wash dishes. But you know, I haven't heard one of them say, that's just not my calling, Dad. They might try to say that now that they're hearing this, but, you know. <laughs> and, and I would agree that that is not their high calling in life is to wash dishes. But when you're part of a family, you wash dishes. So sometimes people, they're like, they come in and they're like, they're like I don't know how to fit. I have, 
and and we're getting ready to release in the coming months, years. I, I, we're working on it. How to bring clarity to the whole gifting issue. It's not an issue, but there's been so much muck taught about it, just muddied the waters concerning it, that people are like, well, that's not really my gifting. Well, so what? Does the job need done? Yeah. You're going to be hard-pressed for somebody to say, I feel called to scrub poop off of toilets. It's my high calling, and I'm anointed by God. Going to the men's bathroom. Little boys use the bathroom. I mean, sometimes I go in there, and there's pee sprayed all over the place. And I thought, it might have been one of my kids. I don't, I don't know, you know? Somebody has to do that. And, I, and I, I mean, you guys serve amazing. I mean, this is, when I tell other pastors, they're like, well, what percentage of people of your church serve? I'm like, probably 60%, 70% serve very consistently. How do you do that? And I'm like, well, we just do it. I don't know. God's just showing us how to do it, and we just, we just do it. So I'm really proud of you guys. But it's just keeping this attitude and developing this, this attitude deeper that we don't ever come to this place to where we're like, I have arrived. I still fix stuff around here from, from time to time. We have a maintenance team, and I'm glad they, they've taken a huge load off of me. It used to be almost, almost, let me tell you something, I'm not patting myself on the shoulder, but most of what you've seen in this space right here, I had my hand on it one time or another. Drywall, lighting, carpet, two-by-fours, plumbing, tile, I mean, you name it. And I didn't, I'm not, I'm only just telling you that just because it's like, that's what it's supposed to look like. We're supposed to continue doing things like that. That's life. It's life naturally, and it's also life in church. We're supposed to do things like that. You know, some people are like, yeah, that's right, let's serve. And then they don't ever spend time with Jesus. You know what? You're not going to be laying floor and, and cleaning toilets and in heaven. Some of you might, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be real hell, wouldn't it? <laughs> but so there's an, there's an end to that, but we're going to be spending time with Jesus throughout all eternity. Come on now. But on the flip side, we can't, while we're here on this earth, just sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to learn to pick up the torch of Martha. You remember the story of Martha and Mary? It says that Martha got distracted with many things. It didn't say that Martha was evil for serving. You know whose house they were in? Martha's. You know why they were in Martha's house? Because Martha was the one serving and helping people. And Jesus said that Mary has chosen the, the, the greater thing, which will not be taken away from her. And really sitting at the feet, feet of Jesus, it is the greatest thing. But you know why we can come and sit at the feet of Jesus here? Because somebody laid the carpet, because somebody cleans the carpet, because somebody cleans the chairs, because somebody straightens the chairs, because somebody runs the sound, because somebody does da 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 da, da all that stuff. That's what makes it special. That's what makes a family a family. You can wash dishes, and you can have the anointing of God come upon you and lay hands, and boom, somebody can be healed, whatever the situation is. We should never, we should always stay small in our eyes. Never come to this place to where we, we think that we're anybody special. We're special because God loves us. I am somebody because God loves me and I'm accepted just the way that I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think in terms of songs, we are somebody because God loves us. We are special, but we're never too special 
to be special for other people. Hallelujah. So parents are supposed to be, spiritual parents are supposed to be self, selfless, of no reputation, and basically servant parents. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, a new breed of servant leaders is being birthed. That's what he spoke to me. A new breed of servant leaders is being birthed. I, I've asked the question, because, you know, we talk about apostolic and prophetic. We talk about all the fivefold ministry because it's in the Bible. By the way, none of those things have passed away. None of those things have ended. God still uses apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers today. But I've, I've wondered why so many people have been, and like many people that I know that are extremely versed in the word, why they're like this when you talk about apostles and prophets. And then I did some digging, and I realized, especially with certain people that I know and, and I trust and love very much, is that the only version of apostles and prophets that they saw were ones that stepped out and said, Ooh, you know, it's like, <laughs> here I am. Here I am. A great leader is worthy of honor and should have it, but should never demand it. And you find a leader that demands praise, that demands a spotlight, that demands something from people, run from that leader. Because they're more about them than they are you. Servant leaders serve people. They don't look to be served. And this is, this is, this is a revelation to me, and it's been difficult because Liz and I, we live with you all, and we watch how you bless us. It's humbling almost to the point of humiliation. And then I remembered that I heard Andrew Walmack say one time, he said, he said if, you're, if, <laughs> if your blessing isn't embarrassing to you, you're not being blessed God's way. And I thought, you know what? Our people bless us. You guys bless us. You honor us. But I'm not here for you to serve me. I'm here to serve you. That's what, I, that's what I'm here for. Now, I can't go around and clean everybody's toilets, right? And when you go, hey, how about, you know, my bathroom needs clean. Like, you know, I would do it. My heart's there. Yeah, Holly, huh? What? Anyways. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's just the message I preach, all right? <sighs> so, hey, man. Seems I remember somebody vacuuming the floor yesterday. I saw you watching me from across the room. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's a new breed of servant leaders. Oh, I'm stealing my own time. Help me, Jesus. Let's pull up Philipp Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at these verses here. Briefly, and then I have a really cool thing to share with you guys as we're closing. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, let this mind, so this tells you it's not just about actions, it's how you, how you think, how you see yourself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Picture this. This is Paul writing to the Philippians saying, I want you to think like this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became 
obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation. I believe with everything in me, you're always going to have, if you have a good church, if you have a good family, you've got good parents. If you have a good church, you have good parents. You have good leadership. You're always going to have good leadership. There's always a need for leadership. There's leaders all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's right. But what we're going to see is we're going to see moves of God. And in this great awakening, we're going to see moves of God that spring up that will have no name attached to it, other than maybe that local assembly, that town. You're going to see this. People are going to have to look and be like, who's the one who's God's using to spearhead this? Because it won't be about them. It will be about God and what he's doing in those people. There's nothing wrong with having your name out there. We have award ministries because God told us to start it. We do the books and we do all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's about what are you promoting? Are you really trying to promote yourself and make yourself something? Or are you there to serve people? And you know, the serving isn't supposed to be like when I get to the top, then I'll start serving. You serve when nobody's watching you because God's watching. He's, he's seeing your heart. He's seeing what you're doing. He's seeing that you're taking on this mindset of how can I serve people? How can I serve people better? How can I serve my family better? How can I serve the people at work better? How can I serve my church family better? You want to know the reason why I'm so passionate about church? It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm the senior leader of this church. I'm passionate about the church because I believe it's the answer for the world. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It, it, The church is the expression of the glory of God in the earth. If you're looking somewhere else for the expression of the glory of God in the earth and you're looking past the church, you're looking in the wrong place. The church is the answer for everything. As I mentioned before, and I'm going to finish with this, that we've lived in a society and and a church culture that's been derived of I call them counterfeit fathers versus legitimate fathers. There's a verse I want to pull up here, and I'm going to show you some slides really quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 14 through 15. This has become a verse the Lord's really stamped in my heart as, as being really important. It says, now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. And I'm like, wow, that kind of goes against the guy that I saw one time who was selling prophecies on a, quote, Christian news network or Christian network. He was selling prophecies. Good to give to prophets. The prophets should never sell what God gave them. Hmm. Interesting. Paul was an, an apostle, and he said, I didn't come for what is yours, but you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. There's a shift coming in the church. I'm talking about globally, to where you have the ones that are leading that are actually laying down their lives and becoming humble servant leaders. Strong. I mean strong ready to storm the gates of hell, the kind of leaders you want to follow. But at the same time, we'll put money in your pocket if you need it. We'll help you with your groceries. We'll 
come and, and serve you and, and help you in some way. You say, well, is that really going to make the church great? Heck yes. Make it amazing. You know why? Because Jesus was the most amazing minister ever. And he modeled this perfectly. What's perfect? What's the perfect model of a church? A leader that disciples, brings heaven, brings the reality of heaven, isn't carnally minded, but also was willing to serve and help people. And if that's wrong, then Jesus was wrong. I mean, I'll know that Jesus wasn't wrong. He was the perfect example. So we've lived in a culture of, I believe, counterfeit fathers. And I'm going to go through, I have a few moments and I have nine slides that I'm going to run through really quickly and show you some differences between counterfeit and legitimate fathers. And I believe you're going to see that these are some of the things that we've, and this, I've got nine slides that came up with nine. You could have come up with 90, but these were things that really stuck out to me as far as fathers and counterfeit versus legit. So if we can pull the first slide up there. A counterfeit uh, father is numbers-driven, whereas a legitimate father is relationship-driven. And what I mean by that is that we've lived in a, in a church time on the, the heels of like, uh, like 30 years of numbers, 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 numbers. And I believe in numbers. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers. There's nothing wrong with numbers, and there's nothing wrong for believing for increase. I think any pastor, like I've heard these pastors, and they're like, oh, I'm just going to take my flock, and we're done with the building thing, and we're just going to meet in somebody's home. I'm like, okay, do you have no vision for seeing people get born again? Do you have no vision for having them stay there and becoming part of a healthy body? And what happens if they have kids and their kids have kids? I mean, how long are you going to be with these people? Because as soon as their kids start having kids, you got too many people to fit in your living room. Unless you're the Johnsons, they just figure it out. It's just no problem. <laughs> but so a lot of times you'll, you'll find these, these, um, these two, two different things when it's uh, illegitimate or counterfeit versus a legit is that it's numbers driven versus like having relationship with people is the most important thing in terms of the people that are there, not how many but do you, have you built a relationship? And I understand even with the size our church is now, I can't have a personal relationship with everybody. That bothers me. I'm a quality time guy. My, my love language is quality time. The way I feel like I need to show love to everybody is to go and sit at your dinner table every other night of the week and just fellowship around the Lord together, play a game, I mean, whatever it is. But I, can, I don't have enough hours in the day. It's physically impossible. But we're building something here that's, that's more relationship-based. We care more about people having a relationship with each other and the Lord than we do just having numbers. But don't anybody come back to me when the church, as the church continues to grow, that you're like, well, I don't think you're the number, I don't want the church to grow big. If you don't want the church to grow big, you're in the wrong place. I want this thing to grow huge because you can have more people, you can minister to more people, you'll have more finances. By golly, I've, I'm at a place now I wasn't kidding when I said earlier, if I had $3 million, I could spend it by the end of the year. There's a huge need for money. Just in case anybody feels like they got an extra $3 million to throw out, there you go. So, hallelujah. Um, so the next thing is here um, is uh, counterfeit fathers view people as, a, as means to treasure, whereas legitimate fathers and I'm using the term fathers, but it's really fathers and mothers, all of that can combine, legitimate parents if you want to. They view people as the treasure. 
Big difference. Next slide. Counterfeit fathers bring people into entertainment. Legitimate fathers bring people into encounter. That's encountering the Lord. The next one is that counterfeit fathers uh, fears people and therefore allows disunity and rebellion. Legitimate fathers love people. They should say they love people and therefore confronts disunity and rebellion. I found this out years ago, and, and I, you know, nobody does this perfect, but I used to have a real fear of people. Like I was, I was a people pleaser. And so I would let disunity, I would let rebellion and different things go on, and, uh, and it hurt the church. I put people in positions that never should have been in, in places of authority. Um, I allowed people too much horizontal leverage, and they would talk bad about people. They would talk behind their back, and I knew it wasn't right. Talk behind my back, too, and I knew it wasn't right, but I was too afraid of losing people that I wouldn't confront it, and I, I realized, now I'm not saying that I was unauthentic or that I was a counterfeit. I wasn't, but if I had stayed in that and always been worried about people, I never would have confronted anything, and then the Lord gave me a word two words in one day, and I realized by the end of that day, I was actually called into a ministry of confrontation. When you're a parent, you are called to confront. Any parents can verify this? Sometimes you got to get your, your little blessing by the ear and say, listen here, I got to tell you something, I need to confront what's happening here, amen? As they get older, you might have to do a little bit more of that, you do it in love and whatever. But real true parents will confront, they're willing to confront because they care more about the health of the people than about just keeping numbers or things like that. Um, next slide, counterfeit fathers, self-promote. I literally made these slides this morning, so forgive some of the spelling errors. Counterfeit fathers self-promote. Legitimate fathers, they promote others. Look at Jesus. He said, the things that I do, you're also going to do, and even greater things, even greater works than what I did, you're going to do. If you, if you put a cap on people underneath of you because you don't want them to surpass you, you have your own identity issues. You've not learned how to be a true son or a daughter because a true son or a daughter would know that God's freely given everything and you grow up into this place to where you become a positive, healthy mother or father and you want your kids to go past you. Any good parent that I've ever met, they're like, man, I want my kid to go. I want him to make more money than me. I want him to do greater things than me. I want him to have a bigger impact than me. Why? Because you're a good parent, and that's why you would say that. Same is true in the church. There has been, there's been so much, um, the word is competition. There's been so much competition and people having identity tied to titles or tied to jobs that they feel like, okay, I have this position here, Nobody is, nobody's going to come around. Do you know that, I, I'm not saying that every church is an apostolic church, but basically I think every church should be an apostolic church in the sense that they're looking to raise, bless, promote, send, whatever that looks like, even if somebody does something greater than you. A worship leader training up worship leaders should believe God for the best to raise up and send to be even better than what they are. Children's church leaders should be believing God to raise them up and become better teachers, become better whatever, and that goes across the board for everything, amen. Counterfeit, next slide, counterfeit fathers um, strive for, as I'm reading these out loud, I'm getting a better, how I should have worded it. 
Counterfeit fathers strive for people's happiness, whereas legitimate fathers strive for people's growth. I've often found that some of the grumpiest times that I've had is when I was, I was growing the most. I mean, it was really hammered on my flesh. And sometimes, and I've found this, that with, with a lot of times pastors that are, I wouldn't necessarily call them hirelings, but they're counterfeit on some level. They're only worried about whether people are happy or not. If, if Jesus was worried about whether people are happy or not, he would not have accomplished everything that he accomplished. He ticked people off everywhere that he went. You know what he was concerned about? Discipleship. That's why he didn't, he didn't pick 12 guys that would, you know, would be brown nosers and then he would just keep happy or whatever. It's probably a terrible term. I don't know. I heard up growing up and I didn't even know what it meant and I figured out what it meant and I'm like, that's terrible. I is who I is, amen? <laughs> he, he got guys to be disciples, which meant that they were going to come and they were going to grow. And you know, whenever somebody is growing, oftentimes they're like, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. And this is uncomfortable. I've done that with the Lord. Like, God, I don't like this. This is hard. You know what? Sometimes as a parent, you have kids underneath of you and they go through hard stuff, but you know that they're going to grow when they come out on the other side of it. They're going to grow during the process. And if you're always about coddling them and keeping them happy, how are they going to grow at the same time? Instead, they just go through a hard time. They go through a difficult time and they don't learn anything. Amen. Next slide. Counterfeit fathers' top priorities is being a friend. Legitimate father, their top priority is being a parent. You ever met that, that parent that has, you know, the 14-year-old uh, bratty kid? That they're like, hey, girl, what are you doing? The parent to the kid. I'm talking to my boyfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've seen this before, and it's like, whoa, who's the parent here? You're not supposed to be that kid's friend. You're supposed to be their parent. You're supposed to love them and help them and guide them and lead them. The church has been full of counterfeit fathers for a long time. Instead of helping people, all they care about is being people's friends. Sometimes, this is true, sometimes when you have people underneath of your care, you have to look them square in the eyeballs and say, you are dead wrong. I love you, but you are dead wrong, and you're going to destroy your life if you keep doing that. Hallelujah. All right, next slide. Counterfeit Fathers makes ministry performance-based. Whereas legitimate fathers, they make ministry relationship-based. So in other words, it's not how, like promotion and ministry and things like that, it doesn't come because of how well you can do something. It comes because you have a relationship with the people that can promote you. Hallelujah. Next slide, and I think this is the last one. Counterfeit fathers, they promote a punishment culture, whereas legitimate fathers promote an unconditional love culture. We've had a lot of punishment being dealt out from the pulpit and from, like, in, you know, the way that church has been uh, run to where people feel like they feel squelched because they don't feel like they can have mistakes. They can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. You have my full blessing to make as many mistakes as it takes just to get it right. It's not a problem. And when people, when people feel, and we don't do that perfectly, you know, but when people feel like they have room to make mistakes, and they, they also feel like they have room to grow. 
and when they feel like they're going to be punished for something that they're doing wrong or something that they're not doing right, then there isn't room for growth there. And this doesn't mean that you don't confront rebellion. This doesn't mean you don't confront things. Again, a good, healthy parent will confront things. But there has to be room for people to be able to make mistakes and not feel like they're being punished. There's a difference between, between correcting and punishing. Punishment brings judgment. And we've, we've learned this, and we're learning this even with raising our kids. Our goal isn't to punish them for doing something wrong. Our goal is to teach them how to make right decisions. They're going to have enough punishment from the bad decisions. They don't need me against them. We should never be against our spiritual kids. We should never be against people and looking to find ways for them to be punished. You know why? Because God doesn't do that to us. He corrects us as a good father does, but he doesn't punish us. He might not bring us into more responsibility because we're not ready for it, for it yet, but he doesn't punish us. He doesn't, you don't see doing something wrong, and then God's like, all right, I'm going to get you now. He doesn't do that. In the Old Testament, you can find him doing that, and that's a different discussion for a different time. But under the new covenant with the blood of Jesus, God's not in the punishment business. Hallelujah. I hope this rings some bells in here today and, and honestly brought encouragement. To me, this is like, this is the future of the church. He's, he will have his church. And all of the, the ways to describe it in a family is one of it. And it's a healthy family. It's a healthy church. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give, or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.